This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com and the Radio.com app. For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins in the NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. Yeah, yeah. With Ken Laird from the Greg Hill Morning Show. That's evidently what Ken Laird wants you to believe. And WEEI.com Bruins writer Matt Kalman. Everything gonna be all right? <laughs> Place him up for some bees talk right now. It's the Skate Pod. Some escape. I'll give it a B. B plus. On WEEI. Holy, this is a big time show. It is a big time show. Skate Pod Week 2 in quarantine coming at you here at WEEI.com. Ken Laird here. Matt Cowan back at his house. A palatial estate indeed. You had a Twitter picture of uh, in the, yourself in the bunker, Matt, looking good. Yeah, I got my uh, Stanley Cup final t-shirt on because it might be the last one ever printed. Oh, no, don't say that. Uh, <laughs> although uh, the news continues to not be good, we may be doing quite a few of these and uh, quite a few this way. But uh, we are presented by Red River Technology. Technology decisions are not black and white. Think red. Visit redriver.com to learn more. And Matt, you can tell the fine folks where they can find the skate pod. Yeah, I mean, you know, either uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and those are the those are the two main ones. Anywhere you get your podcasts, and you know, you got nothing better to do, so leave us some reviews. There you go. Now, can we get right to it? Well, first of all, let's tease our guest, big guest today, goaltender Byron Defoe, who played for the Bruins five years from 1997 through 2002. Won a playoff series, was third in the Vezina one year, uh, and I think most importantly, can speak to Tuka Rask, who has uh, come into a, a little bit of question about his future. Wouldn't you say here, Matt? Yeah, I mean, well, first off, obviously, having Lord Byron on, it's the first member of royalty we've had on the show. We've had Hall of Famers, we've had all kinds of things. Now we have royalty, but, um, yeah, the Tuka Rask thing is funny because um, there are some people like Brian Burke on uh, on Sportsnet kind of downplaying what uh, was said. I think it was interesting that uh, the story in the Globe that originally brought this up wasn't a pull-out story at the time. It was kind of a note in the Sunday Notes, and then all of a sudden when they realized it was getting some legs, they made it into a full story, so... I think a lot of people maybe had the same attitude I did, uh, kind of knowing that Tuka Rask can be kind of flip sometimes, that maybe uh, he was just kind of, you know, busting somebody's chops. Whether or not that's true, I mean, clearly he said what he said, and so we have to, you know, kind of take it for what it's worth and say, you know, there's always a chance when a guy is up on his contract, he's in his mid-30s, and maybe uh, if he's concerned about his personal life, his off-ice life, maybe he goes back to that. I mean, we've seen guys in all sports, you know, quit while they're still in their prime. And we know he had the uh, the, the personal leave of absence a couple years ago where uh, we never quite got the uh, to the bottom of that, but we know it was a family matter. And so maybe there's a little family pressure to, to call this a career. You know, he's made plenty of money. We always say that with some of these guys, you can't imagine – why they're still holding out for huge bucks as they get older. And, and maybe, you know, he's got uh, his priorities in a different order than some people. And for those who missed the note in the Globe, here was the quote from Tukarask: I have one year left in the contract, so we'll see if I even play. End quote. When followed up, is that a real possibility? Quote, we'll see, always a possibility. End quote. Now, but correct me if I'm wrong, this is the second Tuka future story that's been out. You sort of mocked the athletic 
uh, one of my favorite publications, for a Tukaraz story a couple of weeks ago. Did you not? Yeah, well, I don't even know exactly what uh, what was said in that one, but I think this is the one where you can give it some legitimacy because Tukarask actually said it. And, um, you know, I would say also that whether he was, you know, even if you want to be part of that small population that thinks he was just, you know, joking or whatever, I mean, I, I think if you asked uh, 19 other players in that dressing room, you know, about their future beyond whether current, or whatever their current contract is, I mean, other than Char and Bergeron, I'm pretty sure everyone else would talk about, you know, obviously seeing where they land and, and continuing to play. I don't think anyone else would bring up uh, retirement after their contract. Is it a contract negotiation? Do you think that's part of it? Just uh, he wants to be overwhelmed by the Bruins and he's not sure that, you know, maybe they like Halak yeah. more than he uh, is, is afraid to yeah, admit. Yeah. I mean, in, in other sports, you can look at it that way, but when you're in a salary cap league like they are, where we know now with, with what's going on, the cap's going to be pretty flat the next couple of years. I can't see him holding the the Bruins ransom because they're just not going to do it. They're not going to be able to. I mean, there's not going to be enough room. I mean, even let's say worst case scenario, Tory Krug leaves, they're still going to have to spend what little cap space there's going to be on on other players, and he he won't even be a priority probably till next till you know next season even. So um, I don't think he's necessarily negotiating uh, through the media. I think it was. Uh, his real feelings, just as far as you know, him not necessarily being 100% committed to being a goalie in the NHL in his late 30s when he doesn't have to be. And the other thing that you know, one of the standout moments of the year so far, standout's not the right word, but the uh, the concussion at the elbow of Emil Benstrom in the Columbus right. Blue Jackets. Does that have him reconsidering his future? You never know. Yeah, obviously. I mean, he's had a couple of, of uh, injuries now. You know, one of the concussions was. Uh, it, it was a friendly fire, right? Anders Bjork running into him in practice one time. And yeah. so uh, goalies are always at a risk here, and there's just so much you can do to protect them, and there's just so much you can do to give them time off because clearly they need to practice and stay sharp. So, you know, I mean, we've like I said, we've we've seen this for some other guys, and uh, maybe it's a little surprising from someone like, uh, like Tuga because he just seems to be kind of, a, you know, a hockey kind of guy all the time he's not necessarily doesn't you know doesn't necessarily publicize his other interests or things that he would be doing if he wasn't playing hockey so it's kind of odd but i guess maybe he might be the next wave of athletes that gets to their mid-30s and has a huge bank account and says the hell with it you know right 55 million dollars is a pretty huge bank account from what he's made so far absolutely Um, so what now we'll talk to uh byron about this when he joins us you know how serious does he think this is and his experience is going through the rigors of the NHL, but from a Bruins point of view, can they afford for him to retire? Yeah, you know, let's say he he scraps it here, like at the end of this year with one year left on the deal. Where, where are right. they now? What would they give Halak? Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, that's the thing. If he if he did call it quits now, um, say it, with the end of the season and not come back for the last year of his contract, they'd be kind of in, in trouble because. Yeah. Uh, you don't know what Yaroslav Halak is is thinking, and you don't know what the bidding war might be, and then you're turning to uh, one of your prospects as the backup, or you're turning to uh, a journeyman that you don't know is necessarily going to be the right fit here. I mean, clearly, uh, him playing out his contract at least gives them enough runway to to plan. And um, if he's if these are the things he's saying to people behind the scenes, in particular Don Sweeney or you know his agent, and they're getting the information through the Bruins, and the Bruins can can plot things out a little bit, that might you know, open the door for them to to get a lock back, knowing that they can give him the security of a multi-year deal, knowing the security of him being protected in the expansion draft. And then you just have to find uh, a cable backup, and you might even have that in, in a guy like Dan Vladar, at least to, to be one of the guys that compete for that spot. 
Do you think that like Cam Neely called him up like as soon as the call, as soon as the piece ran Sunday, and was like, "What the hell? I mean, what what is going on?" Yeah, I mean, you would hope that maybe he's expressed these uh, things uh, to the to the front office, whether it's Cam Neely or Don Sweeney, over the course of the years. But yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Don Sweeney uh, was texting him right away to say what, where did this come from and, and what and is this true and if he didn't already know it and uh, clearly they'll have to to plot it that way. I mean, you know, like I wrote in my in my story of Tukarask, he might not want a farewell tour, but he might just have to at least on the down low let the Bruins know so that uh, this way they can plan accordingly. And, and all of this is, is speculation. That's like I mean, everything could totally change in so many ways given the coronavirus halt. I mean, it just everybody's mindset. And every profession yeah. is going to go. A and that's why I wrote, too. I mean, clearly, I mean, this is obviously what was said, and it, and it gets reported, but you never know if someone was having a bad day. Yeah. I mean, obviously, under the, the circumstances, we're not, you know, we're not, we don't have access to Tukaras. We can't uh, follow up with him and see uh, what he would say now. No one seems to be able to, you know, no one's been able to, to get in touch with any of these players. So, uh, like I said, for all it could have been, it could have just been a bad day. It could have been a, a, you know, a conversation he had with his wife. It could be just him, you know, just saying what first thing that came off the top of his head. I mean, it's a great, great job of reporting and, and getting that out there. But you know, clearly, just like not to change the subject, but just like with the whole Jacobs paying his employees thing, if if someone would just come forward and be accessible for follow up questions, you might actually be able to get uh, a broader picture and, and understand more what, what where where he's coming from. Good point. Let's talk about that on the other side. But first, let's welcome in our expert this week, a goaltending expert. That's for sure. Byron Defoe, special guest this week on the Skate Pod. Byron, thanks for joining us. Can you hear us all right? You bet. We uh, we have much to discuss with you. First of all, uh, tell us where you are, and uh, have you been to Boston in the last decade? What's what's your life been like here since you left the Bruins? <laughs> yeah, no, it's been busy. Um, after uh, after I retired in Atlanta, there I, I uh, headed back west to British Columbia and uh, raised my two boys, and um, been just kind of. Uh, doing some, some projects here and there in, in British Columbia. And, yeah, I've been back to Boston numerous times. Uh, always holds a special place in my heart. Both my boys were born there. And, uh, you know, best parts of my career were definitely with the Bruins. So um, I actually had my youngest son play in the uh, Chowder Cup, or pronounced Chata, Chowder <laughs> Cup, uh, a summer ago in in, uh, in Foxborough. So, um Cool. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's a great spot. I, I I think at some point we actually may put some roots down there. I'm not sure yet. Awesome. And as you joked before, you we brought you on. You're in uh, Kelowna, British Columbia. What's the population there? You have no trouble social distancing with anybody. Yeah, well, especially where I'm at. I'm I'm uh, kind of out of town a bit and got some acreage. So yeah, uh, we're we're doing fine, keeping away from everyone. Um, it's uh, it's actually a brick great spot. It's uh, kind of in the interior of British Columbia, about four hours from Vancouver, uh, on a big lake, and there's a really big hockey contingency here. Um, so it's uh, you, you stay in touch with the boys, which is which is always a good thing. Well, go ahead, Matt. We had a bunch of uh, Tuka Rask related questions to get to you. Matt's going to start with those. Yeah, I just you know right, you Matt. brought up. Uh, hey, how's it going? You brought up um, you know retiring uh, after the Atlanta experience. Clearly, it was right before. The uh, 0405 lockout. If if my math is right, you were 33. I mean, how did what were the circumstances that led to you get kind of you know calling it a career there? And can you kind of understand where Tuca's coming from? Maybe thinking about the same thing about the same age. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, for me, it was more injury, you know, body breakdown based. Um, you know, when I was in Boston, I think I had 
three or four knee surgeries on the one knee. In total, I had eight. And, uh, you know, when I was in, went to Atlanta, I was pretty banged up and, uh, you know, missed a lot of time playing there. And so for me, it was just kind of a situation. The lockout came around. I was still working out, being prepared. And when they called it, you know, around Christmas time, you know, I kind of just looked at my wife and my two young boys and was like, you know, I think, think this is a bit of a sign and it's time. And, and you know, looking back, I, I wish I had taken some other steps to prolong my career. Um, but, you know, you only know what you know. And uh, I was popping lots of pills that were, you know, recommended at the time and, and not eating the way I think I should have been. And, and it just uh, kind of compounded things. So I'm happy to say now at, you know, 49, I, I actually feel great. My knee's great. I haven't had any surgeries and, and you know, life's good. But uh, my, minus the paycheck. <laughs> yeah. And how about just, could you kind of maybe understand, though, where, where obviously Tuka Rask has had some injuries as well, some concussions. Um, he deals with the pressures of being a, a Bruins goaltender. Could you maybe, you know, your, from your experiences, just kind of apply what it might be like for him right now, contemplating what his career might look like beyond uh, his at the end of his contract next year? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, with especially with concussions, that's a whole different game. I mean, you know, a knee's a knee, a shoulder's a shoulder, a hip. You know, there's you, you can pretty much bounce back at some point when you retire. But obviously, you know, I know Mark Savard really well. I played with him in Atlanta. You know, he's an example of where – you know, it, it, uh, it's life going, and uh, you got to look at your quality of life. I mean, Tuca's, you know, a third of the way there, so he's got to look at what's coming down the pipe, and and I, I can totally sympathize that if, you know, he's looking that way, it, you know, it, it's unfortunate, but you just don't know with concussions. I think there's just such an unknown about it, and the, the only thing you're kind of seeing is more and more negativity about long-term effects. So, as a goaltender, you know, playing in Boston, yeah, I mean, you know, everyone wants him to stay, and, and for obvious reasons, he's had an incredible career in Boston, and, um, you know, it would be great if he keeps playing. But, you know, from a, a selfish standpoint for him, he's got to look at his family and, and what's right for him. Since you brought up Mark Savard, uh, I mean, obviously Bruins fans, you know, it was it was such a disappointment to see his career cut short the way it was. Uh, have you talked to him much lately? And, and from afar, what was it like for you to see the unfortunate events? Yeah, I, I haven't <clears throat> haven't been in communication with him other than just through Twitter. But um, uh, you know, when we were in Atlanta together, we lived by each other, so we rode together a lot to the rink. So got to know him really well, and you know, he, he's a funny guy, and and you know, just turned his career into a, a whole nother level and and uh you know i watched what he did when he was in boston and and it looked like he was just going to take off and and uh it was very unfortunate and i mean that's you know that's the thing it's you're, you're one hit away from career ending career ending and you know not knowing what it does to your life the rest of the way so I'm glad to see him get back into coaching and and um you know i, I think he's doing a lot better and uh, you know, the the thing is, you just got to manage it, right? And, um, you know, he, he definitely was uh, was great when he played in Atlanta and even better when he was in Boston. Backing up to your eight knee surgeries, I, that, that's an eye-popping number. How bad was it pain-wise? I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, you were taking pills there, but that, that that's hard to imagine. Eight knee surgeries. Yeah, you know, it's it's just one of those things. that None of them were major. Like, I didn't have a rebuild or anything like that. It was just... Uh, 
meniscus. You know, I had torn cartilage. I did it first when I think I was 17 or 18 in junior. No big deal. I had a surgery. I was back playing 10 days later. And, you know, it was always told to me by doctors, it's like a piece of paper. You tear it a little bit, it makes that next tear that much easier. And uh, so, you know, fast forward, eight knee surgeries, basically all the cartilage was removed finally, and it was just bone on bone. And I would, I would have to, you know, have um, uh, needle withdrawals to take the fluid out at times because the, the inflammation would build up so much. So it was just, it was, you know, my last few years weren't fun. And uh, I had better days where I felt pretty good, and I had a lot of days where, you know, I just didn't even want to go on the ice because, you know, if you can imagine bone on bone just grinding, and in my position when you're having a drop on your knees, it was my outside meniscus, so it was getting all the pressure. Um, and, and, you know, the joy of the game went away for me. And, um, you know, it didn't help that, you know, we were playing in a market that wasn't great. Uh, you know, I definitely missed the Boston atmosphere, and Atlanta was nothing like that, and we didn't have very good teams. So, uh, you know, you put all that together and then the locket comes in and it was just, to me, it just made sense to call it a day. And so, you know, obviously here in New England now, we're dealing with the departure of Tom Brady and uh, you were here in Boston when uh, it came down to trade Ray to Colorado. And can you kind of give us an idea of what it's like when, when a Hall of Fame, you know, all-time great leaves the team and how the team kind of, you know, recovers and, and, and what, it's, what the atmosphere is like around the team when that happens? Yeah, I'm a big Tom Brady fan, so I'm I'm sad to see him go. Um, don't quite know the circumstances. I don't think anybody does except the inner circle. But uh, it's unfortunate because he, he had one heck of a run there in New England. But, you know, similar uh, was with Ray being sent to Colorado. And, you know, again, it was, I think, a trade more for Ray than anyone. Uh, you know, he obviously ended up winning a cup there in his second year. And... Um, you know, for me as a player, I mean, he was, you know, the epitome of the professional athlete to play with. And, uh, you know, I had uh, three really great years from Ray. I learned a lot, <clears throat> you know, as, as my captain and, and uh, his work ethic and, and just his professionalism. But, uh, you know, it, uh, it, it's part of professional sports and um, it, it has to happen to some players. And for Ray, it made sense. You know, for us who kind of, you know, stayed back and had to live with, you know, post-Ray Bork uh, syndrome, it was tough. And, and, you know, the reason why was we didn't have the best teams. And so we went through a couple years as a rebuild and, and uh, you know, got back to form. But uh, it's, it's a, a tough circumstance to be in. And, and uh, you can only wish the best for the player because it's not easy for them moving on either. When you guys got back into form, what was that like? I mean, obviously it must have got, been a lot more fun than it had been for a few years. And just um, did you kind of feel, you know, bringing, bringing the NHL and bringing hockey back? I mean, what was that like to be part of a team that was always competitive again? Well, Boston is just such an incredible sports market for all four sports. And uh, hockey, for me, I mean, you know, I started my career in Washington and spent a couple years in L.A., which was, you know, <laughs> night and day from from going from L.A. to Boston and then, of course, finishing Atlanta. So I, I absolutely loved my five years in Boston, and, and uh, three of those years we had really good contending teams, and um, it was uh, – it's just an incredible market. I mean, uh, I, I loved being around the fans. I loved being out in the community, and uh, most of all, I loved – well, back then it was the Fleet Center, but I loved playing at TD Garden and, and having, 
you know, 18,000 of the faithful there. And, and, you know, let's not kid ourselves. When things are tough, they let you know. And, and that's part of sports. And that's, uh, that's what gets you fired up too. Because uh, when you, for example, playing in Atlanta, we weren't very good. And we didn't hear it because there wasn't many people in the stands to let us know about it. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's, I'm just so, I, I always follow the Bruins still to this day. And, you know, it's so unfortunate this year because, legitimately you know number one team to potentially win the cup again and uh hopefully they they do get things figured out here with this virus and and boston gets a chance to prove that they're the best team in the nhl this year i don't know if you stayed around byron that year that summer of 2001 when they had the parade downtown for ray bork after he won the cup in colorado it's brought up as like a punchline now i mean 12 titles later but looking back on it how bizarre was that for you guys to see the city like celebrating a guy who had been traded yeah, it, it, I mean, it was bizarre because it was a Colorado Avalanche Cup, not a Boston <laughs> Bruins Cup. But, but again, that just speaks to the you know how how great Ray Bork was as a player and what he meant to the Boston city of Boston. Um, you know, obviously he he's still involved. He stays stays full round in Boston and and has an incredible uh, following there. And and um, you know, I mean, why not have a parade for him? I mean, it. Uh, it was the closest thing at the time that that Bruins fans could get to the cup, and they they all shared it through Ray Bork, which I thought was pretty cool. And and uh, like I said, I mean Ray Bork was one of the uh, best players that I ever played with, both on and off the ice. And and uh, he, I think a lot of people in Boston just can relate to him, which is uh, says a lot about Boston. Did you know Don Sweeney had GM in him uh, when you were playing with him? <laughs> It didn't surprise me. Uh, you know, he used to always let us know in the dressing room about his Harvard background, and, and so we, we knew he, he thought he was smart, and uh, uh, I think he's doing a heck of a job, and he's, he's proven to all of us players that he, he is smart. And, uh, again, you know, as much as, uh, you know, the team of Boston Bruins this year, I'd love to see them play. I'd love to see them go for Don because, uh, you know, he's done an incredible job. Uh, you know, with Cam Neely as well, and and you know the the numbers they've put up this year and at home, and and it just uh, it'd be a real shame to see it go by the wayside. So I think we're all keeping our fingers crossed that uh, the, the season will resume and uh, it'll be really fun to get behind the Bruins. Well, Byron, really appreciate you taking some time and coming on. One last one: we had uh, Lyndon Byers uh, sometimes contributes to our show here. He used to be a mainstay on the morning show here on the Rock Station AAF. You guys shared the same number. I'm sure he'll want to know who the best 34 was. Well, that's I mean that's always been up for debate between <laughs> LB and me, and uh, uh, I don't know I, I don't know how many Vezina nominations he had, but uh, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> and uh, and also, if you get a chance, say hi to the Hillman for me. Uh, I will. Those guys over at WAF are awesome and uh, had a lot of fun doing interviews and playing golf tournaments with them and uh, follow them on Twitter. And so it's always, uh, I just love the community in Boston and I'll be back at some point. So you haven't seen the end of me yet. Hillman has actually moved over to our our place here at the sports station. So he's on in the mornings with with me. So beautiful. We can maybe hopefully we could have you on down the road. That would be awesome. I'd appreciate that much. Hey, Byron, thanks a lot. Best of luck to you and the family. And uh, thanks for giving us some time. All right, guys. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Byron. There he goes, Byron Defoe, second-round pick of the Capitals way back in 1989. Uh, Matty, and a 12-year NHL career. And he, he's right, he was third in Vezina voting in 1999. So stick that That's in right. your, your pipe there, LB. Yeah, um, I mean, I'd say, you know, anytime people bring up, you know, people complain about Tuka Rask, and they compare him to Tim Thomas, and it's like, do you remember what 
goaltending in this town was like before the Tuka Rask, Tim Thomas, you know, era here. And everyone always points back, well, you have to go all the way back to Byron Defoe for someone who legitimately gave them some NHL goaltending, you know, maybe Raycroft for that one season. But, uh, you know, he was an unproven rookie and they didn't get past the first round. So it was kind of a, a, a goaltending desert until uh, this kind of era and people should probably appreciate it more. His backup was Robbie Tallis in 1999. So there's a name from the past for you. Exactly. The, the now Florida Panthers goalie coach. There you go. Um, in terms of Tuca, did you glean anything from what uh, Byron was saying? I mean, he, he's obviously had different medical issues with the surgeries and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, the, the big difference, of course, is, as he's pointing out, he was in a terrible situation in Atlanta, bad franchise, and uh, you know, he's in pain. I, I don't know if Tuca's there, and obviously this is the premier franchise in the NHL points-wise when we last saw them. Yeah, I, I think um, when he brings up the surgeries, though, it does remind me that, remember, Tuka Rask did have those lower body injuries that were sh- slowing him down for a while there. He's, he's had a procedure. You know, you don't know what the doctors tell him about how long those things can hold up. If it's, say, a groin or a hernia-type injury and you're playing goal in the NHL, you don't know what uh, you know what that could lead to, more troubles down the road. You know, maybe you think about it and you say, gee, maybe I get out while I'm healthy, and, and whether it's the concussions or it's something from the lower body or something, you say, you know, I'm, I can get out now. I have I have enough money. I have a, I have a family now with uh, two or three kids, and and you just kind of enjoy the, the high life. Whether he would stay here or go back to Finland or or continue to split time, um, it's not the worst life in the world. And we've seen um, guys do that sometimes. Uh, you know, I guess you can ask someone like Mark Savard, like we talked about, or you can ask someone like uh, Marion Hosa, who guys who've had to been forced to, to leave early and say, gee, you know, I would never have left if I wasn't forced, but uh, I guess everyone, you know, is kind of different that has different priorities. And, you know, he might even regret it if he, if he leaves early, but um, at least he'd have his health. Well, the other main hockey issue, and as you pointed out, hockey Twitter is uh, pretty much dead and there ain't much going on anywhere. Uh, players are mostly unavailable. But uh, the uh, Jacobs family news, the TD Garden uh, uh, workers, the part-time workers who have been furloughed in Delaware North and the $1.5 million fund, Nobody yeah. seems to have any details one way or the other, right, which is part of the problem. I mean, the Jacobs family's taken a lot of grief for being a, you know, on paper in a Forbes right. uh, article worth so much money. Uh, easy for me to say they should be spending more and taking care of their workers. But uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts on the developments of this here in the last week? Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you're going to really get out in front of this and, and not – there must be reasons for what the things you're doing. And if you put out a 15-word press release and just hide behind that and never – respond to questions and never kind of explain yourself, you're going to take this kind of heat. And I guess they've decided that since they have the number one team in the NHL, they can, you know, do it this way, take all the uh, the backlash and deal with it. But, I mean, there are circumstances. I, I'm not by far, I, I don't quite understand the whole unemployment versus, you know, getting um, compensation for work that you didn't do type comparison. I mean, obviously, it would seem to me that the, the the part where they get laid off this week is might be a positive because if you're not employed, you can collect unemployment. I mean, right. clearly, right. I'm going to have to read up on this stuff soon, I guess. But uh, you know, um, let's hope. Let's hope not. Yeah, well, the, 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 you know, but, but that goes for everybody comes, in the country. I mean, when it goes back to the fund, um, the whole you know if their games aren't played thing w- w- was a cop out, and it kind of you know made them look really terrible because. While we're waiting for the NHL to make a decision, and it looks like they might not make it, they might not make a decision until June or, or July because right. they're talking about uh, reserving dates in August to play some kind of playoff tournament. So that that leaves people in the lurch because those people, as far as I could tell, if they can't apply for the unemployment while they're waiting 
for those six games to be canceled, then it, it kind of it kind of screws people over. Now, when they put in the in the release that it's a complicated scenario, it, it is a complicated scenario when you're an organization that owns the concessions in buildings throughout the world. I'm not giving them any excuses. Obviously, there's always a uh, you should be planning. You know, there should be some tr- strategic. Uh, plans for things like this or you know when you take uh, a week to, to think about it you should probably come up with something better than just uh, a conditional 1.5 million but um obviously they're willing to take the the pr hit to uh to save some bucks i guess well, i'm sure there'll be more on this story and we'll, we'll continue to update in f- future weeks the biggest news though was that uh, one of our uh, twitter voters wrote in the td garden staff for uh, seventh player award uh when you put up the poll on there which i liked but okay. The runaway winner was Brandon Carlo with forty eight percent of the vote, yeah. crushing my pick of uh, Charlie Coyle, who was a distant second. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean it's hard. I mean he was obviously one of the two candidates we talked about, and uh, whether or not he's exceeded expectations, it's hard to say. I mean he stayed healthy and he's become um, one of the top, you know, three, four, or five shutdown defensemen in the league. And um, did, didn't you kind of expect that from him? I think you kind of did, but we know. That uh, the nature of the award doesn't necessarily, you know, fit the voting from fans because that's why you know a guy like Tim Thomas wins it twice. <laughs> so you never know what the fans are thinking. Um, the Charlie McAvoy won it, right? So he was a first round pick. How did he? How did he exceed expectations? So I, I think, uh, especially on this team, we talked about how hard it is to pick someone because there's so many guys having great years that uh, it's it's not. Uh, it's actually maybe maybe it does show some. Some uh, subtle, you know, intelligence to look beyond the numbers, the stats, and, and see a guy play the way he does. We talk about it all the time that it's hard to quantify what Brandon Carlo means to the Bruins, and it's good to see people appreciate him. Pasternak finished with only ten percent of the vote and got a little bit of backlash for us, even including. Yeah. Him, but but again, it's the same thing. Well, Michael said it's a good question. Why is Pasternak included in this? It's an award to the player voted on by the fans who performed expectations. Aren't we expecting Pasta to be a top goal scorer? Right, and I mean, we talked about you know the fifty goals not being something we ever considered. I mean, uh, it, we, we, forty would have been uh, a dream, right? And now yep. he was on pace for fifty, and you know, who knows what he's going to do in the future as far as p- passing that? And no one saw him becoming this Sovechkin type threat, and at least in my mind, that's what we're, we're watching the next several years. We're going to see a guy who's uh, a perennial challenger for the Rashard Trophy. Well, what are you watching without live sports? Are you watching Bruins replay or when? when, when are you uh, we it? just finished the first season of Succession. All right, <laughs> and, uh, we'll move on to season two, and uh, you know some other sh- some. Oh, absolutely, great show! Um, you know, any any H- almost any HBO show uh, clinches it, right? You can't uh, go wrong, and uh, a lot of crazy stuff on YouTube. I watched some Buddy Hackett on uh, Johnny Carson. He told a great joke about a duck, and. <laughs> I saw Herman's Hermit sing "If I Was a Rich Man." Jesus, if this uh, was ever a cause to get live sports back, I mean, you're making a case for it right now, my friend. And then we watched. Uh, oh, we watched uh, Home Run Derby: Mickey Mantle versus Willie Mays. So that was a great one. Who won? Don't don't leave us hanging. I, I don't want to give a spoiler. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, what uh, are you watching? Uh, almost nothing. I mean, like my daughter's home, so it's full time like daddy daycare. I've seen Frozen. Two what about when she goes to sleep? She goes to sleep after I do. I get up. You know what time I get up in the morning? <laughs> but read Matt Kalman's stuff at wei.com, including his latest on Tuka Rask, and uh, I'm sure uh, we'll have excellent guests in the coming weeks here on the Skate Pod because that's what we do. That's what Doug McClain promises at the start of the podcast, Matt. 
and it's a Absolutely. big time show. Absolutely. And we'll be back next week. Check us out online at WEI.com and on Twitter at the Skate Pod. Format Calvin and Ken Lindsay.